Hello, this is Matt Hale bringing you Art Monthly's talk show on Resonance 104.4 FM, which is listenable on FM or on iTunes now or on our website. We now have a resource on the website of about 20 programmes plus, and um, it's all they're all with writers who've written in Art Monthly, and this programme is based on... The September issue, number 349, 2011, that is. And I'm joined today by two writers who've been on before, John Douglas Miller and Peter Suchin. Um, John has written a feature called Art Writing, and Peter has written a review of a show at Focal Point, which is called Outrageous Fortune. That was the show's name. Now, um, one more small thing is you can subscribe to Art Monthly and get a special discount if you listen to Resonance and you say in an email to subs at artmonthly.co.uk... I heard this on Resonance. Please give me a 30% discount and you will receive one. Thank you very much for that small... Uh, what's the word? Capitalist oh. intervention. <laughs> OK, now, we're going to start with Peter's um, review. Now, Peter, you, the review is around tarot cards. Very basically, the tarot card is quite an influence on the show. But you mentioned the Ulipo and a novel um, called The Castle of Crossed Destinies. Um in which tarot features. What's the link between that novel and the way the show is curated and the tarot cards? Right, well, in my review, I uh, made a kind of link. There isn't an intrinsic link, um, except they both use tarot cards, the show and the um, novel. Uh, Calvino's novel, which was written in, the, I think, the 70s, I can't remember, early 70s, uh, uses a pack of tarot cards and the imagery of tarot cards to generate an, a multiplicity of stories. And the comparison I made was that um, Andy Hunt, the curator at Focal Point in uh, South End on Sea, uh, took the tarot cards as a starting point for an exhibition. So Calvino made a book out of tarot cards, a novel, and uh, Andy Hunt made an exhibition out of it. That was the main link, really. Possibly an idea from Peter and, yes, it was Lewis as well, kind of influenced, if that's the word, by Peter Lewis, yeah. who some no, years ago talked to Andy about possibly doing or not doing a show of a tarot yeah. cards. And, and Peter's a curator Peter's and an artist. Curator, and and he's, uh, yeah. Andy's acknowledged that in the um, Which is great, which is good. Yeah, well, I thought yeah. we'd do it here too. Um, but, so what did, what, did, what did Andy do? Well, Andy started off... I mean, it's quite hard to work out exactly what he did, but he... Um, because it's an unusual structure for curating, I think. He picked, I think, just five artists, and uh, those five artists were then told, you can each pick another five artists. And I think then the next lot picked some more. I'm not quite sure exactly yeah, how that's sort of layering out. of... So, but a handing out of the responsibilities. Yeah. And then each, um, each artist... When, he, when Andy got to about 80 artists on the list, apparently he rang them up, he rang, rang each one up and said, you know you've been invited to be in this show, do you, do, do you want to be in it? And if they said yes, he picked up a tarot card at random from a pile of cards next to him and said, right, your card is the prince of this or whatever, you know, whatever they are. He, so there was, right. there was a strong um, chance element in the construction of the show. Yeah, and, and they would be then making it what? Well, the... The show itself, although it's physically mounted on a wall like a conventional show, in a conventional art exhibition, it is actually a tarot pack. It works as a tarot pack. So each artist got one of the cards from the pack to either, as it were, illustrate or make a version of yeah. or allude to. But they had to stick to that card. And then later on, just recently, last week, um, an actual physical pack of tarot cards, which is the show show's catalogue as well, if you like, has been published. So... Andy's put together... He basically has asked artists each to design one tarot card. They're actual tarot cards. Right. And could be used as such. And he also displayed 
original other tarot card packs and things? Yeah, well, he? what he did was, um, it was, I thought the show was structured in a very, uh, inter- well, very useful and neat way. Uh, as you, you went into the first room and you had a couple of glass cases with famous tarot designs, because various people have done tarot designs in the past. And there's a, ver- a very famous set from, I think, 1911 or so, called the Rider Waite series. And that was a, um, a writer on occultism of A.E. Waite, commissioned an artist to do a, to do a pack. And um, there's also uh, Alistair Crowley's very famous designs. So you got kind of a bit of, if you like, education when you went in. Here's previous tarot cards, tarot packs, and then the one on the wall is the one I've commissioned. Right. And, and, and how many cards are in a pack? 80? Um, about, um, I think there's more, actually. A, a, 80 or so, yeah. Yeah, so each artist was a card, in a sense. I mean, it's quite, an, uh, by the nature, an esoteric subject, you know, I've been trying to um, mug up on I mean, that's to be honest with you, I don't even really pretend to understand what how tarot cards right. work, or... Well, perhaps I could... Yeah, and I'd be quite interested to see, because if there's... I mean, it, is there a, the chance thing? Yes. Right, well, tar- tarot cards, there's a set, a set of cards, it's about 400 years, 500 years old, perhaps the idea of them. And modern playing cards came out of tarot cards, not the other way around, right, as games. But tarot cards are a set of, uh, as a device for perhaps predicting the future or making decisions about thing, you know, important things in your life that you're not sure how you should um, go about dealing with them. So they're kind of div- divinatory in that sense. And you could pick, I mean, it is a very complicated thing, but you could pick, say, three cards uh, you know, from the pack, and you could say, right, the middle card will be the present, how, how things seem to be for the present. The, the previous one refers to the past, and the other card, the one on the, the right-hand side, refers to the possible future. And the cards are, they've always got similar imagery in them. You know, in, no matter who designs them, they've got the same kind of imagery of... Um, uh, you said a, f- a fool or... So like or, the fool, or there's, uh, like, there's one of the devil, there's, um, there's one of... There's things like nine of pentacles, whatever. They all have meanings that have been built up over the years. So you can read a kind of an accompanying book and, and it'll say, okay. if you get this card, it usually means this, but if it's juxtaposed with such and such a card, it might mean that. I mean, right. at, at the most simple, you could simply uh, take a card, look at the imagery and just try and make a meaning out of it. Yeah. So it's like an artwork in that way. That's quite interesting to um, think about. John, do you... Um, yeah, I was just wondering, um, <clears throat> with the huge number of artists that are in the show, um, whether in the end it's actually more a show about curating rather than there being that much significance in the actual work. I.e. who is in it? It's less significant, perhaps, than the medium, the way in which it's been created. Do you agree created. with that, Peter? Yeah, well, it does, it does throw emphasis onto the selection process yeah. and the openness of the selection process. It's like the, opening, the openness of reading... Yeah. Then it's like networking because those artists ask other artists in, so yeah. that goes well. It's quite revealing, isn't yeah. it, of the structure? And it of... could, it could have. It is about structure, to use that word. So, as John suggests, it could have different artists in, but I suppose the kind of test of the game, uh, no pun intended, is that you, you know, the artists have to kind of come up with something. It's like, it's, you know, can that artist who's asked come up with an interesting interpretation in that context. of that card? But... And that, and then what you get, of course, is eighty or so different. Individual artworks, which are which are which are actual artworks that are touring the country at the moment. Uh, um, the eighty artworks. I mean, if you looked at say the Rider Waite tarot pack, all the imagery is by one artist. It's a coherent thing, so you get a kind of splaying or mix of styles, obviously, by the nature of this project. Yes, yes, John. But, but do you feel that that Andy, through using kind of the, the the chance thing, is actually trying to kind of avoid his role as curator or, or kind of? 
He's also making it into more of a kind of perhaps like a creative act in itself, yeah. I think. Mm. And I think I said that in the review that, you know, he's kind of chosen to be a kind of artist for this mm. thing. And I, th- I think that's all right, you know, because most of the time he doesn't do that. He does all the, like the bureaucratic stuff and the paperwork and the, you know, managing of, of a gallery. Yeah. So he's like, it's treated himself perhaps to a, a bit more openness. And it's obviously he's still had to organise the yeah. physical thing. Yeah. Which is good. Just to make a bumbly link to John <laughs> Miller's article feature, because there's not an obvious one, but obviously that kind of that that um, cura- curatorial structural thing and that imposed process. Mm. I, I was just thinking, um, w- w- John, with your piece on art writing, there, there's mm. a uh, what well, it's quite a complicated piece, which I want you to, and there's a lot of it, which is which is gives information about how art writing's come about being called art writing mm. which but but one of the things that comes out of it, it for me was this thing of judging the writing like what you know whether writing is deemed to be good or bad mm. and who and how does it who, who does it and obviously and you mentioned the literary uh i don't know if i use the word canon but the literary world is one area and mm. then they've got this art writing which is seemingly something else mm. and then and that structure of judgment comes out the literary world you kind of know what it is as you do in the visual art world you sort of know you know how to judge visual art because you've got a lot of other, you've got a lot of history of visual art, but art writing being a new thing. Yeah, it, I think I think what the piece is kind of about really is is who has control or who um, is responsible for a certain kind of avant-garde leg- legacy um, within art writing. So on one side you have kind of where you'd imagine you would find it, which is the literary world. But in the literary world, it's increasingly become something academicised and historicised. It's not seen as something relevant, this kind of formalist or experimental approach to writing. Because for obvious kind of reasons that the publishing world now is looking for their next Harry Potter or their next kind of Ian McEwan or Booker List book, they're not kind of that interested. So you're saying it's ignored, basically, there? Ignored, although they'll, you know, they'll say that they're putting money from the big books into, into smaller writing, but you don't really see very much evidence of that, and there's certainly not much of the marketing budget going into it. Um, but then on the other side... I think, as I say, increasingly, um, with courses, art courses increasingly looking at close reading, um, continental philosophy, so on and so forth, there's, there's a kind of renewed interest, I suppose, in this kind of avant-garde writing. Um, but at the same time, perhaps there's a loss of context going on. When you say context, what? Mm. Well, <clears throat> for example, with, with there's a rise, there's an awful lot of new kind of, uh, I suppose, as I call them, quasi-literary journals. Um, is that rude or is that? Uh, it's 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 neither rude nor not, shall we say? <laughs> <laughs> right, uh, ambivalent perhaps. Um, but like Fr David dot dot dot. Yeah, which I think do a lot, of, a lot of good things, but I think at the same time it, it, there's kind of a loss of you know it, it's quite there's a certain whimsy I suppose in the selections to a degree that's kind of justified by a certain kind of curatorial position, which I suppose is where this kind of curatorial well, yeah, thing so comes So I think this is where we must be careful <coughs> and, and, and get this analysed mm. well, because I think that's where, you know, people will feel something. Mm. But, I mean, Peter, what do you think? Well, um, in, in John's article, he makes a point towards the end of the article about uh, institutions like universities mm. and how they fund these journals. And I think you say, John, something like... Um, these journal, the existence of these pseudo-experimental journals, mm. in a sense, justify the institutions. That's why they fund them. Mm. Now, my view is that if you look into, the, if you look at modernism rather than the situation now, by, by modernism I mean 
you know, 1910, 1920s, say, there were lots of little journals called little magazines that all sorts of artists and writers, obscure poets, who then become, you know, now not obscure, uh, wrote for. And they weren't funded by institutions. I mean, they may have been funded occasionally by rich people, independently, like Georges Bataille's journal in the 30s, I think, Document, was funded by a, a millionaire art collector, you know. But Bataille had his own, for a while anyway, control over it. As, as the editor. Now, I think a lot of these um, journals are a problem in a way because... N- now? Yeah, because... Well, they're not a problem. I don't, I don't mind them existing, but they're certainly not avant-garde and outside the institutions, are they? That's the problem. And but do they, they claim to be? Well, maybe they don't, but isn't that a problem in itself? Maybe it is just a kind of uh, whimsy where anybody can write anything and it gets published, and that's one of my problems. Okay, no, I understand. Okay. I think John might want to So the, effect, the quality that, of the writing you're saying is, yeah, effect, a, is possibly... Yeah. A, or choice of what's well, the two, two Sorry. <laughs> well, just quickly, there's two sides to it. On the one hand, it's an open space, as it were, or it seems to be, to um, try new things, which I think is a good thing, which yep. parallels the world of art, perhaps, and certainly it used to parallel art schools. At the same time, any old rubbish, perhaps, sometimes gets <laughs> through the door, you know. So okay, John. that's a problem. Um, well, I think, yeah, that's, it's a good point. But um, also, if you look at something like The Happy Hypocrite, for example, um, that Maria Fisco edits, I think that she... Um, kind of compares it to Merlin, which was another of these kind of avant-garde, you could say, modernist journals that publishing Beckett. I think Trocky was involved in it as well. Um, and I think there's kind of a failure to recognise that, that the world in which she is publishing is a lot lighter in some ways than the world into which they were publishing. Do you see what I'm Do you mean pol- the world, the political world, or the, 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 well, it's, it's you don't mean the literary world? You mean the world... What? The, the way in which the, the happy hypocrite will be received is quite different. It's a different climate that it's being published into. Right. I think it's kind of there's a kind of pointlessness in kind of trying to compare it to kind of these radical okay. journals of the past because it simply isn't in some way. Yeah. I mean, I was thinking, I mean, after reading John's article, I was thinking about how, how did these journals come about? What, what, and how did this category, this strange category, art writing, come about? Mm. And I th- I'm just, I've got made a kind of list, if I can just go through it quickly. <laughs> I think um, one example, um, one thing that led to art writing as a, a sort of genre, if you can call it that, is the writings of Derrida, Bart, Foucault, Christopher, that whole post-structuralist set of people who criticised the notion of writing. And Derrida, for example, opened up the, it up so that almost anything can be writing. So there's a kind of philosophical... Defence of it. Defence of it before it, or, you know, an opening up of writing. Then secondly, the history, obviously, of conceptual art and artists thinking, starting to think in the 1670s, of writing as a form of art material, which is new, I think, in the, at the time. You mean and like that, Lawrence Wiener? Like Lawrence Wiener, or in a different way, art and language, but yeah. art, Lawrence Wiener is a better example, really. But the idea that writing is a kind of thing artists use, it's not separate, it's not just for critics and commentators. Thirdly, um, art history and art... and Contextual studies programmes in art schools have brought a lot of this stuff into the art school, like they brought theory into the art school. And then John, I think, rightly criticises um, certain uses of language by people who edit those journals and use a kind of obfuscatory, you know, pseudo-structuralist writing that doesn't really say very much. And I think that comes, you know, through... Or to describe I mean, their not, choice of what they've published. I'm not, yeah, I'm not against things being brought into the art school. I'm just saying that, that now, further down the line, it's become a mannerism. That kind of writing has been mannered and bastardised. Is that by, through lack of understanding by art students, fundamentally, do you think? Because, obviously, they're not trained in literature. Well, it's a double bind for art students, though, isn't it? They're expected to... To know to, everything. You know, read this stuff and be when, when uh, but, but there's but they have no background in it and it's kind of like it's a key into the kingdom if you know what I mean in the same way it was interesting because I was reading um the captive mind the the Czeslaw Milos book that kind of criticizes the way that in in Poland under <coughs> under the Soviets 
um, you know, the way into the academy was, was through kind of, you know, becoming a Marxist-Leninist, you know, spouting Marxist-Leninist. It's kind of the same situation now that to get through the academy, to get through the art school, you have to kind of, yeah, I know, thought that had know this language. Gone away a bit, though. And and, and, and then these, these publications, they don't have... Lots of academic philosophical text. I mean, the artists aren't doing a lot no, of that's, that. That's are true, they? but it's but it's the, the 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 editorial positions. If you read the editorials for these kind of magazines, they often kind of come back to that kind of stuff. I think. Yeah, but the, but the actual writing, but they they choose and publish. It, it obviously very varied, hmm. but because of what they're basing their editorial tr- structure on, hmm. allowing any, that allows anything in. Is that what you're saying? Um, no, I think it's more a case that, like you say, that there's so much. That there's all this. There's so many different things within these magazines. You know, it's quite a wide kind of selection of different kinds of writing, but it's all justified under this kind of umbrella of, of kind of theory. Right. And it doesn't. And it's, yeah, go on. Go on, I think what John's saying is that if there wasn't that theor- theoretical background to kind of cite as a oh we've got this serious philosophical model behind us, yeah, yeah. Uh, you couldn't really justify the openness. So the fact that Derrida and Bart challenged the notion of like the break between what criticism is and what creative writing is, and they challenged it in the 50, in the sixties and seventies rather, and and it kind of then became acceptable uh, to break the boundaries of, co- of conventional categories of writing. Yeah. So all these people now in art schools and outside the art schools can do this, can't they? It's, they don't have to justify it anymore because it's, the justification has been done. But I think it makes for a lot of bad writing a but, lot of the time. But you see, in, in, when you make art, you can't do that and get away with it for too long, can you? I mean, no, is this just reflecting the way the state of the visual arts is in, or are, is it actually not like that? Because obviously in the visual arts, you kind of, you know, you can say, well, I'm, I don't think this is very good because it refers to that in a very, it's just copying Wiener. Say someone did a, ste- a wall text piece, they might just say, well, it's so like Wiener, it just is, it's derivative and not, you know, you wouldn't give it time, but I've got a history to bait to, to compare it to. Uh, this is a really bad example, really. But so, in the in these books, because there's no art, is there no art writing that these editors can say, "Well, look, hang on a minute, this is just nothing like as good as was done by I don't know, Kathy Acker or I someone like that." I think it varies, you know. I mean, but the the fact that I think they, because it's open. The open nature of it allows people to produce bad writing and say it's experimental. It's, whereas it ha- in the past, it seems to me, um, experimental writing, like the early poet we mentioned before, George Perry, people like that, they were important because they worked with new means of writing against the grain of the 19th century established li- literature. That's the thing, literature, literature. Against literature. That's the thing couldn't yeah. we say that the problem is that, that the literary world has given up this stuff? Yeah. Therefore, giving up the context, it's coming into the art world, which simply doesn't have the context to start for no. therefore you can get away with a lot more yeah but it has to go but it, but, you, but it's better it goes somewhere yeah that's the problem it's kind of a double-edged thing isn't yeah, it I mean, it's, it's good, it does it's good seem that like... it exists somewhere I mean, it's I just a shame that it's kind of you know one sorry. problem i have just even with the category art writing is that it seems to defuse criticism i.e mm. if you keep uh, the idea in your head of a possibility of writing something that most, you know, a lot of people can understand that's, that isn't playing with, you know, endless punning or playing with the signifiers and he's trying to be a clever piece of experimental writing. If you say, well, you can still write in a way that you point to things and describe things, which is what I try to do when I write criticism. I try to assess something, describe it, assess it, and then, you know, I'll stick my neck uh, out and say what I think, and then someone can disagree with it if they want. Mm. But I think art writing is a kind of open-ended melange where... 
You know, nobody. You don't need to say anything because they can say, "Oh, it's just playful." You know, it's. A bit, it reminds actually of Ryan Gander. We reviewed Ryan Gander recently, and he goes, "Oh, well, you can think what you like." Well, obviously you can, but so so what? You know, <laughs> I need, one. It's too. E- it's too easy to just um, and, and you know endlessly pour out. Um, so-called creative writing and stick it out into the public domain. To be positive, though, we're probably coming. Not, we're not at the end of the program, but yeah. But you mentioned some things that you, particularly at the end, you say Will Holder is mm. somebody, and you say that he actually is one of the editors of Fr David, which mm. is one of these publications. But mm. you saw him as an artist doing. What, what did he do that you did like? Um, he was doing a performance of uh, Yes, but is it edible? Which is a, is a <coughs> a vocal score or a, a score using uh, spoken language. Um, and he did a performance of it at the bar- Barbican with Alex Waterman, who he's working on producing it as a book with. Um, and that was felt very much like the real thing. Yeah, and I, and I have, to, and <laughs> I think that's what I want. That's, that's what I want you to talk about because, in a way, like, so we come up with a good example. Mm. What's, okay, give a bad one if you want, but what's the difference between why is that good? And, how, and, what, and what criteria are you judging it on? Um, because the original piece wasn't written as art writing, maybe. Well, I think, but also, what, when, you know, at the end of your article, and you mentioned uh, Will Holden, I think, well, the way I read what you were saying was also that the good thing about those journals is they give a space for that kind of experiment or novel piece of writing stroke performance to be produce and Will Holland might never have done that if he hadn't had that space. No, so the good so thing would never have occurred. Because yeah. yeah. also I think, um, what all this reminds me of actually is uh, a remark from the composer Gavin Bryce who said on a f- few different occasions, he said, in the 60s the only place he and his fellow experimental musicians in Metacombs could perform their works in Britain was the art schools because they were liberal enough to let that happen. Now if that, all that experimental music disappeared, which it, some of it didn't, it might not be very, you know, it might have just been rubbish as we, as we might say, but I don't think it was. It was a new form of music within the context of modern music. And this is the problem here, isn't it? How do you assess what's in these journals? Yeah. Um, I should also just oh. point out that Will Holder didn't write that piece, just in case yeah, no, anyone no. gets the wrong oh, idea. Yes. No, no, <laughs> it was Robert Ashley, the uh, composer, that actually... Yes, but is it edible? Is that, yeah, that's what Robert it was called? Ashley, yes. It's, okay. It's just... No, no, good, good. good. So... so so the institutional link is not necessarily a bad one. And by the way, some of the b- book, book works... <laughs> well, no, but you were just saying, in a way, if there wasn't the institution to give the space, they wouldn't have happened. No, 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 hang on. <laughs> These glossy journals, which are quite glossy... Uh, well, I think there's a number of things, right? The internet is another publishing space, isn't it? And the way the internet works with anything juxtaposed next to anything, as it were, as you download it, I think that's a bit like what art writing in those journals is like. And then also... Um, what was I going to say about this? The fact that you can p- publish things quite cheaply, physically publish things quite cheaply, I think it's probably a factor. Yeah, what's the term for that? You can um, do short runs of novels now, uh, can't yeah, you? Um, you know, but you can vanity print... Vanity publishing. Yeah, yeah, but you can, but, well, no, but you can print... Well, it can be, but you can print a short run yeah, yeah. Of, of what would, would have looked like a book that would have had to be done in thousands I mean, before. the question is, would some of these journals exist if they didn't get funded by universities? Would they exist? Would the people who run them... Or the arts council. Book works, if book works say, is, 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 is one of them. Produced. Is it a new career move for artists? Or is it a space where someone might go, I don't care if I don't get funded, I'll do it as a fanzine because there's a, a need to make this, um, these texts available. I feel it's right to make this. Text. Or is it, oh, we can get funding for that now so we'll have an art journal. And 
what that means as well is the institutions of academia have gone less critical, haven't they? The, the managers who have given them the funding probably never read the journal. They just go, oh, yeah, do some, publish some stuff because we get research points for it and we get money from the government. God, you're so, so cynical. I'm cynical, yeah, I'm completely cynical. <laughs> no, but I don't true. disagree with you. I, I'm <laughs> not certainly that, true. <laughs> no, it's certainly true. My, my, point of, my point of problem is that, that if something actually. magical comes out of one of those things that, was wor- that wouldn't have happened otherwise, then in a way they're justified. And then, and it, uh, and if then, how long are they? How long that, what you said, you said actually follow <laughs> no, well, Probably not. Well, you can probably pass as much as you like. But but how long have they been doing these? How long have these new type of ones that have, this resurgence? How long has it been going on for? Did we say? I mean, how long? I don't know, ten years, maybe. Last so, 10 it, years, so, so it's quite a while actually, isn't it? So I mean, because after a time, you hope things will improve and, and the. Mm. Selection or but it, but it doesn't. That's the problem. It doesn't improve because there is no critical position on it. It's just allowed to kind of just continue to fester in a way. In the yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure. I, was, I did try to find out very quickly before I came down I mean, it, whether they think, whether we've reviewed any of them. I think, actually, John, I I think, think John's point in the one point in the article is, you know, right hits the nail on the head or whatever, which, where he says that. Um, I can't remember, remember it now. But the point of that um, these journals give a space, they give a space to new things. But at the same time, there's a lot of kind of, uh, you know, rubbish in them as well. So what, you know, it, what is the, um, the, you know, there's a good side and a bad side. Yeah. But if you if you can publish anything, that's not necessarily good, I don't think. If it's kind of a free-for-all, then like the internet, all sorts of rubbish gets put out. So... I'm not saying there should always be editorial control in everything, but I can see why editorial control makes things better sometimes. OK. I think we're near the end of the programme. And, but is there anything else, any more forgotten points? John, anything? No problem at all if they're not. Guys, thank you for listening to you all. Um, I suggest the best thing to do is probably to look at some of these publications which, um, and, and decide yourself whether you like them. FR David, dot, 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 2HB, The Happy of Grip, which is published by Bookworks, Cabinet, which I think comes from America, which has had people like Sally O'Reilly in it, um, who's done quite long pieces about quite weird subject matter, which I found quite intriguing, oh, it's actually. slightly different. Yeah, you I do actually. You fair. like Cabinet, don't you, actually, John? Well, sometimes, yeah. <laughs> cabinet is intellectually rigorous. That's maybe the difference with... Well, that is compared. interesting, actually. It's, it's edited by an ex-editor from Art Monthly, which might, ta- might account for it. Have we got time to... <laughs> Have we got time to talk about Georges Bataille for one minute or not? Yeah, go on. Well, Georges Bataille published several journals. Georges Bataille's writing itself is um, multi... You know, it, it's different styles of writing. He writes in lots of different ways. Sometimes it's fiction, sometimes it's theory, sometimes it's combination. Now, the reason he did that, because he was anti-Hegelian and didn't agree with systematic institutional thought, right? So now, when anyone can do anything at all, perhaps it's more critical to write in a more argumentative way, not in a kind of playful way. Right, yeah. yeah. OK, on that magical moment, we will end the programme and hope to hear from you... I well, hope you will hear from us again in October. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye.